We are a blessed people. Thankful to be with you this morning, celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The title of the message, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus is alive, so what? It's a historical fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross. He was buried, and three days later he rose from the dead bodily. Ancient secular historians talk about this in even their own historical records. But more importantly, God's Word says it. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and we see this very clearly. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, the Apostle Paul speaking, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, and then to the Twelve. These truths are undeniable. Over 500 people saw Jesus physically alive after he had died and been put in the ground in the ground for three days. 500 people. Many of these people, as Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians about these 500 people, many of these people died later on because they would not deny this resurrection. They held true. They knew the truth. They were not, they wouldn't die for a lie. They saw him. And they were willing to die for him. So these truths are historical facts. We're not going to argue about that. The Bible says it, so we believe it. But so what? I don't mean this disrespectfully. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has turned the world upside down. What are the results, though, of this great miraculous work? What are the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the children of God? What is the outcome of Jesus' work for the true believers in, in Christ? <coughs> what difference does Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection have for all those who have turned from their sin and trusted in Christ? Why do we believers in Jesus make such a big deal about Resurrection Sunday? And for that matter, every Sunday, because it is the Lord's Day. It is the day He rose from the dead. Why is Resurrection Sunday, the first Lord's Day, so important to us as Christians? What are the results of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for believers? If you're here today and Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to reconsider your dire position. We are all born sinners, lost, dead in our sin. You may not think that you are a sinner. You may think that you're a pretty good person. But the Bible clearly states that you are dead in your sin. We need to be delivered from this sinful position. There's only one hope, and that is Jesus Christ, the one who died, was buried, 
and rose from the dead. True joy is not found in this world. Only sin, death, and ultimately destruction is in the future for every person who has not repented and believed in Jesus. Repentance means to turn from your sin and trust in Him alone. No other God, no other religion, only Jesus Christ and Him alone is your hope. The unbeliever who knows these historical facts of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but does not believe or repent and believe, will be held accountable, even to a higher standard, because you know the truth, but you did not embrace the truth. That lost person will face a, a very bad destruction in hell one day if they don't repent and believe. Everyone who is not trusting in Jesus daily, if your faith is not this ongoing reality of your life, you will face God on judgment day if you do not repent and believe. That's about as clear as I can get with this message. Do you understand? Today we're going to examine the good news of Jesus Christ and His work revealed in the book of Romans. I posted this last night thinking, oh no, I think I'm going to preach the whole book of Romans today. Uh, it's great for Resurrection Sunday. Sit back, relax, grab your coffee, and here we go. Before we deal with the implications of the death, burial, and resurrection for the believer, we must start with what are the implications of the resurrection for the Son of God Himself? And it starts in the very first of the chapter 1. Look over at Romans chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. There's an important verse at the beginning of Romans that introduces this idea of the implications of the work of Jesus. The first result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is Jesus Himself was revealed to be ultimately the Son of God. The God-man incarnate. Notice in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1 it states, Concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. Jesus is both God and man. He became a man who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. According to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Who was declared means... He was shown to be, or revealed, or marked to, out to be, the Son of God. When Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, any doubt of who He was ended. Yes, people still doubt. But the objective facts are clear. When Jesus rose from the dead, He was revealed to be exactly who He said He was. I am. Before Abraham existed, I am. He is Yahweh God in the flesh. And His re resurrection reveals this. It proclaims it. It declares it. He is the God-man. No excuse anymore. Everybody in the room, you understand. Jesus Christ is alive, and so therefore, He is the God-man we should all submit to and obey and live for the rest of our lives. He's the one. Interesting enough, Jesus is the Son of God, but His work guarantees others can become God's children. This is important. 
No, believers aren't deity like Jesus. But in Jesus, in union with Him, we are His children. We are His sons and daughters. You are not a child of God. You are not a son or daughter of God unless you have, been, you have repented and believed in Jesus. You must understand that. We are adopted, as Romans 8.15 states, as sons through the work of Jesus Christ alone. The Son of God became a man to die for sinners so that we could become sons. What a great truth. Jesus is our Lord and our brother that has preeminence, as Romans 8, 29 states, because of his death, burial, and resurrection. So you ask us why we're so excited to sing today, why we're all worshiping, and we're singing loudly, aren't we? Why? Because we're sons and daughters of God through what Jesus Christ did for us. And all God's people say what? Amen. So let's turn now to some further implications of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for all God's children. For all God's children. First, notice, children of God are justified through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're justified through it. We find in Romans 1 through 3 that we're all sinners and we need a Savior. We're all this way. But in Romans 3, Paul turns and shifts his direction and begins to explain what the implications are of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Look with me at 321. At 321. In 321, Paul states, But now, apart from the law the righteousness of God has been manifested. That is, apart from works righteousness that people were trying to do, being a good person, apart from that, the righteousness of God has been manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That gets all of us, doesn't it? being justified as a gift by grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, in Him, in His union with Him, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. Let's stop there. Notice being justified. Again, this word justified means to be declared righteous. The, this is God's legal declaration of sinners to be not guilty, perfect, holy, righteous. Righteous in the sight of God. That's why sinners also are called, once they believe, saints. We become known as saints. Not when some pope tells us we are. But now, if we are a repentant believer in Jesus, we are declared right with God. We're justified. Everyone needs this justification. 
Because no one can attain this justification based on themselves. Nothing you do can do it. You can be the best person in the world, the nicest neighborhood, neighbor in the world, but you're still a sinner at your core. Everyone will face an eternal judgment in hell if they do not repent and believe in Jesus and His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Jesus' death, it states in this verse, was the propitiation of God's wrath for the believer. This means God's wrath was appeased by Christ's death. God was righteously angry with our sins even before we had done them. As he looked at his sons, he as at his son, he knew every sin you would ever do and every bad thought you would ever have. He knew all of your sins from the moment you were born till the moment you die, he knew them all and he was righteously angry at that. He is a just God that deserves holiness and worship every second of the day and all of us have sinned and fall short of that glory. And everybody in this room deserves to be judged by that God in hell for eternity. This is as clear as I can be with the gospel and I want everybody to get it. Jesus is your only hope. There's no other way. God hates sin with a just hatred. God would not let sin go unpunished. In order for anyone to be declared right with God, a perfect substitutionary sacrifice had to be made. And Jesus did it. And that is why that word that Jesus cries out at the end of his life from the cross is so important. To tell us die. It is finished. It's done. Oh, is that not the most glorious word for every believer in the room? All of us say what? Praise God, right? My sin finished, paid for. God's wrath is appeased. God is holy and just, and he's provided a way for me to be justified, declared right through what Christ did. Huh, that's good, isn't it? Turn over to Romans chapter 4. Paul explains the link between resurrection and justification. In 4.23 he states, 4.23 he states, talking about Abraham and how Abraham was declared right with God through faith in God and what God would do. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited or justified to him or reckoned to him, but for our sakes also, to whom it will be credited. That is, we would be credited as righteous if we have faith too. As those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression. Do you understand? 
It was our sin is why Jesus was delivered over to die. Your sin, believer, is why he died. He was delivered over for our because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. Now, what in the world does that little phrase mean? Paul was explaining that justification is found in what Christ did. And MacArthur explains well this last little phrase, and was raised because of our justification. He states, quote, The resurrection provided proof that God had accepted the sacrifice of His Son, and would be able to be just, and yet justify the ungodly. This is so important. The resurrection says, the resurrection says, justification is possible through that sacrifice. We can be declared right. And the resurrection says, yep, that was good. It's the only way. If Jesus would have stayed in the ground, we could have gone on thinking there are many ways that lead to God. But when Jesus rose from the dead, it was, nope, there's only one way. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's your only hope. Next, Paul develops this further. Justification by faith alone. Look at it. What words? Romans 5. Romans 5. That we are declared right with God. Whew, this is... These are some powerful verses. Get ready. Hold on tight. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man. And everybody in the room says, Amen. Though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us who believe in Him in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, isn't it good? This is great, isn't it? Much more than having now been declared right with God, justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. It's good, isn't it? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved, we shall be delivered from the power and penalty of sin, saved by His what? Life. By His life. We are delivered from the power and penalty of sin by His life. His resurrection life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We are now right with God. We have right relationship with God. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ we have hope. Sinners can be declared right. Note, he died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? That would be us. 
If you say, I'm not ungodly, then he probably didn't die for you. If you say that the rest of your life, you better repent. You better acknowledge that you're a sinner or he did not die for you. He died for the ungodly. I, Jesus did not come into the world to save the righteous. That He doesn't mean righteous in that you think you're... He, 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 he means righteous in your own eyes. You think you're righteous. He came into the world to save sinners. Christ died for us. Justified by His blood. Delivered from the wrath of God. And we will be saved by His life. So what are the implications of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? God can declare right the ungodly through faith in Jesus. So this first implication of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is we are justified. We are justified through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This means every sin that the believer has ever done or is doing, even if you're sinning right now, or ever will do, is paid for, done. We are declared right with God. That point took too long. Let's keep going. Second, children of God are being sanctified through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Every true believer, listen folks, pay attention. Every true believer is declared righteous despite our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. That is, every sin that you have ever done, you may be doing now, or ever will be done, if you are a true, genuine believer in Christ, it has been paid for. You are declared right. The obvious question then comes, right? What's the obvious question? Beginning of Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Look at it. Obvious question. This is an obvious one. This means if I put my hope in Christ alone, then that means all my sins paid for? Does that mean that if I sin tomorrow, it's still paid for? And the answer is an emphatic yes. Yes. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, then your hope is in Him alone. And yes. So the question then is, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Whoa, what does this mean? Here Paul begins to unfold a crucial doctrine for the Christians, sanctification. It is the doctrine that says we must be progressively changed to look more like Jesus, become holy. As indicated by the third question, it's not necessarily something that every Christian gets right away. It's one of those, do you not know? Shouldn't you know this? 
Sanctification is a reality, believer. You should have this. It should be happening. Believers don't always understand completely, however, our union with Christ. We don't understand that this means that we will be set apart by God. That when we are in Christ, that means we are related to Him and therefore God's going to work to make us look like His Son. This baptism mentioned here is not water baptism. It's speaking of our union with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We have a new identity. We have a new relationship with God because of Jesus' work, His death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul continues to develop this union in the next verses. Look, 5, verse 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our bodies of sin might be done away with, be put to death, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. This is glorious news. Oh, man. If you believe in Jesus, if you have repented and believed in Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection, your bondage to sin is dead. You have a new identity. You're in union with God. And we sing about Christ's death and we say, yes, I'm alive too. We who have believed in Jesus have died with him. Our old man... Our bondage to sin has died with Him. We are united to Him in His resurrection life. This is our new life. Eternal life doesn't start when you die and go to heaven. Eternal life starts the moment you get saved. The moment that God breaks the power of sin and death and you begin to trust in Christ and enjoy Him, that's when you're alive. With Christ. This is what he's saying. Paul's saying, our union with Christ is important. We've died with Him. We rose from the dead with Him. Look at verse 8. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Jesus, right? For the death that he died, he died once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, we have a new identity. We have died with Christ. We are alive with Christ. We are living because of the same resurrection. Christ rose from the dead. That same power that rose Jesus, took Him and resurrected Him from the grave. That power is available and working within every believer. That's glorious, isn't that great news? We're alive. A distinction must be made. True believers have a real transformation that has happened to them. We are no longer in bondage to sin. 
This is why we can, can, we can even obey that command in the last verse. We can consider ourselves dead. Why? Because something's happened to us. God has changed us. We can't obey. You can't say, I consider, I, reconcile my, I reckon myself dead to sin and alive to God. You can't say that. You can't reckon that. You can't obey that command. That's a command from Scripture. You can't obey it unless it's a reality that God has made you alive with Christ because none obey God. None obey Him. None can understand. Only those that God has made alive can obey. You may think you're obeying. But if it does not come from a heart that's committed to Christ Jesus of the Bible, it's dead works. I want to illustrate this. If I said, my, my, my son, little son Samuel, loves Marshall from the Paw Patrol. You know, the fireman, the fire dog. He has a little fire helmet. And a little fire bike, and he loves Marshall. He would say when he puts on his fireman helmet, I am a fireman. I'm like Marshall. I'm a fireman. Beloved, that does not make him a fireman. <laughs> Saying you're a fireman, if you're not a fireman, doesn't mean you're a fireman. There's only one fireman in this congregation today. There's only one. Jimmy, stand up. This is a fireman. It's a fireman. Have a seat. Thank you. You didn't know I was going to call him, did you? But now I, I want you to know, there's somebody in the room that is studying to be a fireman. James, stand up. This guy right back there, he's studying to be a fireman. No offense, James. Have a seat. You're not a fireman, bro. <laughs> when you're hired, you'll be a fireman. Point being, there are many people that say they are Christians. Many people will say to me in that day, Jesus said, Lord, Lord, did I not do many things in your name? But their identity is not really in Christ. That should scare most of us in the room or at least give us a, a pause to examine our hearts. Beloved, you are only a Christian if you are in union with Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. If your sin has been paid for and he has given you a new heart and a new life and you are able to obey him with the spirit of God that's working in you, that's how you're a Christian. Paul continues to reveal this. Look, verse 6 of chapter 7. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Here's the deal. When you, when you 
when you're a professing Christian that's not yet a Christian, you often read the Bible and you say, Oh, I need to obey this. I need to do this. And you get this idea, Oh, it's all about what I do. And if somebody comes up to you and asks you, Hey, are you a pretty good person? You think immediately, Well, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. After all, my parents were Christians. And I go to church every once in a while. But that doesn't make you a Christian. See, you must have someone who kept the law perfectly for you. Christ came into the world and he lived and obeyed the law perfectly. And then he died and when he died, it is finished meant all of the law was fulfilled. And all that was required of God, by God, in obedience. Look, God doesn't want you to just not sin. He wants you to be perfect. You must be righteous. Perfect. You will not go to heaven unless you are perfect. Do you understand? At this point, there are some in the room saying, well, that ain't me. It is you in Christ. If you have repented of your sins, God declares you right with Him. And you have been released from the law. Having died to that by which you were bound. How? Christ died to that which was bound. So that in the newness of the Spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter, we can serve. Believers, that's us. This Spirit-empowered life, this sanctified life, looks different, doesn't it, beloved? Look over at Romans chapter 8. A sanctified look, life looks so different. Why? Because we're in union with Christ. And the Spirit of God works in us. In Romans 8, 10, it states... If Christ is in you, if Christ is where? In you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ important? <laughs> yes. The Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now living within every single believer and we are guided by the Holy Spirit, convicted of sin, and we repent all the time, don't we? Believers, we, you guys, listen to me. I want you to understand this. If you're a believer, it does not mean you stop sinning. If you're a believer, it just means you repent faster. You repent all the time. Because see, the closer you get to Jesus Christ, the more you know what? 
just how sinful you are. Listen, if you're one of those Christians that walks into the room on Sundays and says, well, I'm pretty much better than most people in this room. You're probably one of those Christians that are playing fireman. Do you understand who's the sinner in the room? Who's the foremost sinner in the room? There should be an argument going on right now. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God living within us. Do you think it's convicting to have the Spirit of God dwelling within your soul? Oh, yeah, beloved. He's always pointing it out to me. How about you? Seems like the law just comes to my mind. Oh, there's another thing Jesus had to die for. If that's not happening in your life, you should plead, God, show me my sin. Show me how wretched I am. If this isn't happening regular, there's a problem. Resurrection life isn't happening in you. Sinners we are. Yet saints we are also. Notice, children of God will be glorified. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Look at verse chapter 8. Can't go into it as much, but these are great, and I'm going to do them real quick. You'll get them. Look at Romans 8.33. Paul talking about the fact that everybody who is justified will be glorified. It's a guarantee we're going all the way to glory, and one day we're getting rid of these bodies of death. And we're going to be in glory with God. And he brings up the resurrection again. He brings up the death again. Look, Romans 8, 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? The, the question is, who can bring a charge against God's chosen people? Those who are believers in Christ. This developed in Romans 9 through 11. Those who are God's elect. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? The implied answer is, no one. No one can. And then he says, God is the one who justifies, declares right. Who is the one who condemns? Who's condemned in that elect group? Who's going to hell in that elect group? No one. Who's the one that's going to face the judgment of God in for the elect? Who's that one? The answer? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes. Rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for you. Oh, this is so good. This is, man, I wish I could spend four hours preaching just on this. Think for a second. What this means is, Jesus died, rose from the dead. What it does, it means that our salvation is guaranteed. All those who have repented and believed in Christ, I know that I can't lose my salvation. I can't. It's impossible. Why? Because Christ died and Christ rose from the dead. Is it important? 
Oh, yeah, it's important. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because Christ did it. Not because I did it. My faith is in who? Christ alone. You ask me, why do I love going to church? Well, it's because your job, Mike. You got to go to church. Okay, I love my job. I love my job. I know some of y'all are struggling. You got some hard jobs. I understand. I absolutely love my job. It's the greatest job in all the world. I don't want anything and I do it for free. Serious. If y'all all said, hey, I've had enough of this. We ain't paying you anymore. Ain't giving anymore. Guess what? I'd still do it. You know why? Because Christ Jesus died and rose from the dead for me. I'm right with God and I'm going to heaven and that is my motivation for all that I do. And trust me, it doesn't mean that I stop sinning because I'm still a sinful shepherd. But I know where to go when I sin. I'm going to glory and you're going to glory because of what Christ did on the cross and rose from the dead. If you have repented and believed in him. The whole section points to this guarantee. Fourth, and I'm not going to go into it, ultimately it's what I've been saying. Children of God are saved through faith in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection. I've talked about faith, right? I've explained what faith is. It's that we trust in Him and Him alone. It's found in Romans chapter 10. You all know these verses. You can look them up later. But I want to get to the last point. Children of God are called to reflect Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in our daily lives. Turn back to Romans 6 real quick. Romans 6. Remember we talked about our union with Christ. And that union with Christ affects the way we live. We live different. We live set apart lives. We are progressively looking more like Christ. Why? Because we have died with Him. We rose with Him. We have new hearts, new lives, and we want to obey Him. Right? That's 1 to 11. Look at 6.12. Here's some more commands. In light of our union with Christ, Paul gave, consider this as one command. Then he gives two more here. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members of your body as sin to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, let me just give you the boil this all down. In light of your identity, go to work. Be who you are. Stop being like the world. You should look different. There shouldn't be lust going on in your life unchecked. You shouldn't look like the world. You shouldn't be lying, cheating, stealing, gossiping. That shouldn't be us. Why? Because we're in Christ. We have a new identity. Now if Jimmy, being a fireman, decided, okay, 
I am a policeman. <laughs> and he never had been trained or any of that. And he walks in with his badge from the fire department and says, okay, I'm here. Sign me up. I'm a policeman now. Give me that gun. Where is it? Because after all, I have a badge. Jimmy, you haven't been trained for that. And you don't have the abilities for that, at least right now. And so, guess what? It wouldn't be easy. It would be impossible, wouldn't it? Beloved, the same thing goes for Christians that say they're Christians, but they're not alive. If we haven't repented and believed in Jesus, there is no way you can have victory over idols of the heart. You're going to look like the world. Look, you can clean up for a Sunday. You can come and you can hang out. You can look and you can be around us and, man, we would never know. But... You will expose yourself. And your exposure will happen when your life is not about worshiping God. It's about worshiping yourself and exalting yourself. If you are rightly related to God, your life will be about sacrificing yourself to worship Christ all the time so Paul does this in Romans chapter 12 we'll close with these words look at Romans 12 1 notice how close it is to 6 12 to 13 look how close 12 1 therefore I urge you brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, that which is acceptable and perfect. Beloved, listen to me. If you are identified as being in Christ, you understand the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection. You have embraced the death, burial, and resurrection. And you enjoy the death, burial, and resurrection. And you're participating in the death, burial, and resurrection. Worship will be your life. You will be about exalting Christ and laying down your life for others. Is that you? Only God knows your hearts. Is that you? Maybe right now, there's someone in the room thinking, well, that's not me. I know I don't live for God. I know my life is not about Jesus Christ. I know that most of my life is about me. At this point, you're going to be tempted. One, you're going to say, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to start going to church, not just on Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to go all the time. I'm going to be different. If you say that, you may make it a couple weeks. 
maybe a month, maybe even a year. But that does not mean that you are saved. The truth will show. How do you know? How do you know? Well, here's how you know. If your faith is not in yourself, and you are committed to the one who died and rose from the dead, if you're committed to him, you are right with God. If you're not committed to him, you're in a desperate situation. Turn to Christ today. Don't wait another minute. Now, cry out to God. Ask him to forgive you. Acknowledge that you're the responsible one for killing his son. And trust that he rose from the dead and can give you life too. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. This good news of Jesus Christ. What a great truth, God. We who are believers in you, we humbly recognize that we are ashamed of not always reflecting this great truth that we rely upon. We ask you, Father, please forgive us for not always living this life and not always considering ourselves dead to sin, but alive to Christ. Oh God, please forgive us and help us to show off Christ to the world. Help us, Spirit, work in our hearts. Help us to put to death the deeds of the body as your word says you will. And Lord, I pray for that person that's here who doesn't know you yet has not turned from their sin and trusted in you. I pray your spirit is convicting them right now. I pray, spirit, work in them and show them that they need you. Please, Father, grant them repentance and faith. We love you, Father. We commit this day to you. We thank you for the resurrected Savior who gives life to us today. We pray this in his name. Amen.